Welcome to the Fit for Tomorrow podcast. I'm Dr. Nick Sanders, physical therapist, and together I hope we can explore the best ways to stay fit, healthy, and active as busy adults. We all have a lot on our plate. So what is the most efficient way to exercise, eat, sleep, and train in order to continue to do the activities we love well into our future? I hope you enjoy this week's episode. All right, guys, today I want to talk a little about what is shoulder impingement and three ideas to help you fix shoulder impingement uh, and or what you should look for in a therapist to uh, potentially help you with a shoulder impingement issue. And so first off, what is shoulder impingement? So shoulder impingement is just kind of a generic term to describe um, a catching or a pinch in the shoulder as you move your arm into certain positions. And so, you know, some type of a structure inside of the shoulder is impinging on another or pinching on the other, and it creates pain. And so it it tells us that something's getting caught in in that sense, but it doesn't really explain why it's getting caught. And that's why I say it's a a generic explanation of of what's happening. It doesn't give you a reason that it's happening. It doesn't even tell you what structure is getting pinched. It just tells you that something's getting caught as you move your shoulder, which uh, a lot of times is, is common sense. Um, I think we kind of assume that if, you know, the diagnosis or the, uh, what the, the health professional is telling you is a shoulder impingement, we kind of assume that that usually means it's not a rotator cuff tear or a labral tear, um, some type of arthritic change, you know, usually that's the case. So the basis behind the shoulder impingement is that, you know, when you look at the shoulder anatomy, the, the shoulder joint, if you will, is, is essentially two, maybe we, maybe we can classify three bones in that area. So the shoulder blade has a socket, right? So the shoulder, the shoulder itself is a ball and socket joint. And the shoulder blade, um, the scapula creates this socket, and the socket we call the glenoid. The arm itself, the, the upper bone of your arm is called the humerus. So we call the shoulder joint the glenohumeral joint, right? And that's kind of the, the junction between the two. The other bone, if you want to throw a third bone into the equation, the other bone that sometimes fits into this is the clavicle, um, the collarbone, because your collarbone comes across and actually attaches to the shoulder blade at a joint that we call the chromioclavicular joint. So clavicle, collarbone, a chromion is this little bird's beak hook thing coming off of the scapula. Um, So that's another joint that can sometimes get involved in, in our shoulder impingement type scenarios, um, at least something that we need to think about when, when we look at shoulder impingement. So, but at its, at its root, you know, the, the glenohumeral joint, the shoulder joint is a combination of a ball and a socket, the ball coming off of the humerus, uh, the, the socket coming off of the, the scapula, and which we call the glenoid, so gleno, uh, glenohumeral joint. As you move your arm, and let's just use lifting the arm overhead as an example, as you go to lift your arm overhead, Um, a couple of things need to happen. The muscles around the shoulder need to activate to elevate the arm. The ball needs to rotate, slide, glide inside of the socket. And we're not going to get into the the biomechanics of how that happens because, A, I don't think it's all that important. Um, But B, it's probably beyond the scope of trying to explain it verbally. Um, But anyway, the ball is going to rotate and slide and glide inside of that socket. And then the, the other major important factor is that the scapula needs to rotate. And so if we're talking lifting the arm overhead, 
there needs to be an upward rotation of that scapula as I elevate the arm. And so we call that uh, scapulohumeral rhythm. And basically the idea is that as the arm's going overhead, the scapula needs to rotate in coordination with that movement so that the ball of the humerus stays inside of the socket, right? The ball's got to stay in the socket. If the timing's off, right? If the, the humerus is, is gliding or rotating too quickly and or the scapula is not upwardly rotating like it's supposed to, well, now that's going to cause a problem, right? Because we're not getting that smooth, coordinated movement between the, the ball and the socket joint. And now we can get a pinch, okay? Now, this is where that acromioclavicular joint, the acromion, comes into play. Right above the ball and socket joint, your glenohumeral joint, right above that ball and socket joint, there is a little, there's a bone that comes off the scapula called the acromion. And it really helps improve the congruency of the socket, right? It makes it a little uh, bigger socket, gives it a little stability. But if the timing's off, if that glenohumeral rhythm is off, well, now the ball is going to, is going to, um, the timing of that's going to be off and the ball is going to pinch into that acromion as it comes overhead. Now, in between the ball of the humerus and that acromion, the bone on the top of the, the scapula there, in between that space, we call it the subacromial space below the acromion, in that subacromial space, we have structures. You have a bursa that sits underneath there. Um, so you hear people say things like bursitis. A bursitis is meaning an inflammation of the uh, bursa, but a bursa is just kind of a fluid-filled sac, right? It's a, it's a balloon, if you will, a little cushion in there to kind of provide a little buffer, a little shock absorption, uh, a little bit of impact resistance in that area. And so, you know, one theory when you get a shoulder impingement is it, it inflames or irritates the bursa, right? Because you, you smush that bursa that sits in the subacromial space, the subacromial bursa. Um, so that's a possibility. The other structure that, that we think about, I, I at least think about more commonly, is one of your rotator cuff tendons called the supraspinatus. Now the supraspinatus is one of four rotator cuff muscles. Um, your rotator cuff is uh, cuff, not cup, cuff. Your rotator cuff is one of four muscles that surrounds this glenohumeral joint. Each of those four muscles has their own individual function. The supraspinatus is responsible for abduction, uh, abduction, which is the action of lifting your arm out to your side. Um, so as you lift your arm kind of horizontally in the, in the frontal plane, if you will, uh, that, that snow angel kind of motion, uh, as you lift your arm out to your side, that's abduction. And that, that's the, the action or the responsibility of the supraspinatus. Um, the other three muscles, you have your infraspinatus and your teres minor. Uh, those are both muscles that externally rotate or rotate your uh, arm to the outside, uh, kind of behind you. And then your subscapularis, which is more in the front, uh, sits in the front of the scapula, runs to the front of the uh, humerus, and it's going to rotate internally. So kind of bringing your hand towards your belly button uh, if your arm is at your side. So those four muscles, again, they each have their own independent actions. Um, but as a group, the rotator cuff is responsible for holding the ball inside the socket. They're one of the things that dynamically control the stability of that glenohumeral ball and socket joint and kind of hold that ball in there. They keep it compressed. 
So when we look at the supraspinatus, again, it's sitting on top, right? It's going to be an abductor. It runs from the, the top of the scapula, the supraspinous fossa. It attaches onto the greater tubercle on the outside of the humerus, a, kind of a bony bump on the, the outside margin of that ball. And it's going to lift the arm out to the side. Well, it runs through that subacromial space. So if you're not able to maintain the, the timing and the congruency of the ball inside the socket and it slides into that acromion, the supraspinatus is one of those muscles on top that tends to get pinched. And so when you come in with shoulder pain, the question quickly becomes, okay, did you just smush it and irritate it, you know, kind of like shutting your thumb in the door? Um, and then every time you bring that arm overhead, it's kind of getting caught, like you're shutting your thumb in the door. That would be your classic impingement, whether you're catching that burst or you're catching the, the supraspinatus tendon. Um, in, in either scenario, you're impinging on that tendon as it goes overhead and, and it can get inflamed and it can get painful and, and those types of things. And so that one's, that one's definitely a possibility and, and probably the most likely, yeah, I shouldn't say most likely, but at least one of the likely culprits of what's getting caught when you deal with a shoulder impingement scenario as you're, you're dealing with that supraspinatus. So if it's just inflamed, then you just need to quit shutting your thumb in the door, right? And if you quit shutting your thumb in the door, your thumb heals, uh, the same is true of that rotator cuff tendon. If you quit irritating it, it's gonna get better, right? Now, the, the secondary, the second layer of that question is did you actually damage the tendon? So if you think of the tendon kind of like a nylon rope, right? When you start to fray a nylon rope, there's like little pieces that kind of peel off of it, right? The same kind of thing can happen with a tendon. You can fray it a little bit and it gets this little crab meat look to it uh, and little parts of it fray upwardly. And if you, you know, if you pinch it enough times, you kind of irritate it enough times and inflame, it can start to fray just like that nylon rope. Um, degeneratively over time with aging and things, you know, it is possible that you fray all the way through that thing uh, and you end up with some type of rotator cuff tear that, that's not necessarily traumatic in nature. Most of the time they are. You fall, you catch yourself funny, um, you're lifting something awkwardly, um, you know, whatever the case is, and, and you get a traumatic, if you're gonna tear your, your supraspinatus tendon, you're gonna tear part of your rotator cuff. Usually there's a trauma involved, but there is a scenario where you just kind of fray and fray and fray and fray, and eventually it kind of knocks it way loose. It, you know, outside of the scope of this topic, but rotator cuff tear tendons and supraspinatus are fairly common. Um, you know, I'm, I'm doing this podcast from the car. I don't have any resources in front of me. Um, so I don't remember the stats off the top of my head here, but the percentage of men over a certain age with a rotator cuff tear is extremely high and uh, not always painful, not always symptomatic. I know people that have had acute traumatic rotator cuff tears of the supraspinatus tendon um, and been perfectly fine. So, you know, it's not a panic button uh, type scenario, but certainly exists. And, and, and maybe we'll do another, you know, if there's interest, maybe we'll do another uh, episode on talking specifically about rotator cuff tendon tears. Uh, but let's get back to the impingement scenario. So anyway, just like in real life, if you shut your thumb in the door, if you quit shutting your thumb in the door, your thumb heals, right? If you quit pinching that tendon, assuming there's not a lot of tissue damage and not a lot of actual structural damage to that tendon, you quit pinching it, it's going to get better, right? And so our goal has to be to figure out why it's getting caught and, and make that pinch to go away. The last structure that I, I wanna talk a little bit about um, is the biceps tendon, the long head of the biceps tendon. So your bicep muscle, of course, sits in the front of the arm there. It flexes the elbow. Um, it, bicep means two, right? So there's two heads. There's a long head and a short head. 
The short head comes you know, up the humerus and attaches to a bone on the front of the scapula called the coracoid. Typically speaking, the short head of the biceps isn't going to cause, um, well, it's certainly not going to cause shoulder impingement, uh, but it's not likely the primary cause of, of your shoulder pain either. Uh, it can create other things like thoracic outlet scenarios and, and some anterior shoulder pain, um, but not that classic impingement in the, in the top front of the shoulder. So when we talk about the long head of the biceps, though, it runs up through the humerus. It's going to go through the bicipital groove, which is this little groove in the bone kind of designed for that tendon to run through. And then it's going to attach on the inside of that socket, that glenoid that we talked about. It's going to attach to the top of that socket onto the labrum. Your labrum is a lining. Uh, think of it, you know, you've heard of a meniscus, right? It's kind of similar-ish. It's a smooth surface. It adds some congruency to the socket. It kind of gives it a, a lip, if you will, um, almost like a, a little um, a seal kind of around the outside type of a thing. Just makes it fit in there. Creates a nice smooth surface for the, the ball to roll and slide and glide on and all that kind of stuff. Um, and so it improves the, 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 the function of the joint, right? It lets it move, fits in there a little bit better, all those kinds of things. Well, your long head of the bicep, after it runs through that bicipital groove, is going to attach onto the top of that, on the top of the labrum, superior part of the labrum, uh, on the glenoid. I'd also throw long head of the biceps irritation, um, biceps tendon, tendinopathy, you'll hear it called a lot of times. I would throw that into your shoulder impingement scenario as well. Typically, that pain's gonna be uh, a little more with internal external rotation. Um, and maybe even a little more with flexion where you bring the arm straight up in front of you. But I would lump that right in there with my shoulder impingements, uh, my, my proximal bicep issues. So something, another kind of factor to consider. And before we kind of dive into how do we fix it, um, one other kind of anatomic thing that we need to talk about, like, ah, let's do two. But one of the other ones we need to talk about is that AC joint, that acromioclavicular joint where the acromion, the bird's beak of the scapula, the roof of your, your shoulder joint, the collarbone is going to attach to that. The collarbone is then going to come across and it's going to attach to your sternum in the front. As that arm elevates, as you lift your arm up overhead, that collarbone and the scapula is, is upwardly rotating, right? It's rotating out to the side and up as you lift your arm. That collarbone needs to move with the acromion, and it's actually going to do this little flip kind of motion. It's going to rotate upwardly and flip uh, as that arm comes overhead at, at a certain range of motion. So if that collarbone's not moving like it's supposed to and it's not flipping, that is potentially one cause of, of your shoulder impingement, right? Because that collarbone's not allowing the acromion to move the way it should or something's off with that timing between the acromion and the collarbone. Um, and so that's a potential issue with shoulder impingement. So we need to check both the acromioclavicular joint, the AC joint on the tip of your shoulder, as well as the sternoclavicular joint where the collarbone attaches to the sternum, because every once in a while, um, something with that collarbone is not moving correctly. And that can be the cause of, of why that ball and socket joint ends up getting pinched inside of there. So that's an issue. And then the last thing that we need to talk about as far as biomechanics with arm elevation is the, um, the rib cage and the thoracic spine. So as I bring that arm overhead, my thoracic spine or my kind of middle back, if you will, it needs to be able to extend or arch backwards ever so slightly um, to kind of get to that end range positioning, okay? 
the first uh, the rib cage is attached to that thoracic spine so a lot of times you will see rib issues also kind of playing into that uh, positioning so if I alter my rib cage position that's going to alter my thoracic spine uh, positioning which may affect shoulder uh, positioning right so you can quickly see how you know the old song the uh, you know the head bones connected to the neck bones connected to the knee bone kind of nonsense um, you can quickly see how that plays, right? If this isn't moving right, then this starts to move funny, then this starts to move funny. And, and so sometimes you really got to untangle a, uh, a maze, if you will, or, or a puzzle. You got to kind of put, a, put the pieces of the puzzle together when you're trying to figure out exactly why that shoulder impingement's happening. Um, but rib cage and thoracic spine mobility and, and positioning, postural positioning can certainly play a role because as soon as I change my rib cage position or my thoracic spine position, now I change the orientation of the scapula. I might change the way the collarbone is going to rotate, uh, the way the shoulder blade is going to rotate, scapula, the shoulder blade is going to rotate. All of those things may lead to impingement uh, through elevation or, or moving the hand. So a lot of times you'll see us check rib cage, uh, first rib, fourth rib, um, kind of I'd say anything in those top five ribs and, and the upper thoracic spine, we're, we're always going to check. And um, certainly some of our postural things. Uh, We'll, we'll play there and you can check this on yourself right if you lift your arm up overhead just kind of in your normal posture and then you slouch or really round your shoulders uh, kind of go into that that hunchback position and then maintain that hunchback position as you try to lift your arm uh, go slowly because it's gonna feel a little goofy it's gonna feel a little pinchy in there um, and a lot of times you can you can kind of self-create your own shoulder impingement just by flexing or hunching your upper back um, and, and it'll give you kind of an awareness of, of how much that scapular positioning and that thoracic positioning plays into your, your shoulder impingements. Um, so we certainly need to assess that postural component or, or the mobility of those thoracic segments uh, as it pertains to elevating the arm and, and the potential to, to impinge on, on that shoulder muscle. So all of those, those factors come into play, right? So when we talk about fixing a shoulder impingement or an irritation of, of one of those structures that sit in that subacromial space, whether we're talking the bursa, the supraspinatus tendon, or the biceps tendon, um, when we're talking about trying to, to fix or take that pain away off of that shoulder impingement, we need to figure out why it's getting caught, right? And that, that's honestly the hard part. Um, to say somebody has a shoulder impingement, pretty simple, right? Like you just look at it, you're like, oh, it's getting caught. It has, you know, there's tests that we do. There's a Hawkins Kennedy test. Um, there's a, a, a painful arc, biceps near test, right? There's all these special tests that we can do. And the more of those that are positive, the more likely it is to be a shoulder impingement. But, you know, not an AC problem, not a uh, rotator cuff tear, not a labral tear, yeah, not a, a cervical radiculopathy it's probably going to be a shoulder impingement, right? So I feel like it's almost a, uh, it's almost a garbage-ish term, if you will. It's kind of the, you know, all right, well, it's not one of these bad things, so we call it a shoulder impingement. Easy, piece of cake, not hard to, to call it a shoulder impingement once you've ruled out uh, some of those other things. Uh, and, you know, probably good to have the correlation of some of those other positive tests, like, like I said, Hawkins Kennedy or near impingement and, and painful art. You know, there's some other signs that, that look like a shoulder impingement uh, that we, we'd look at clinically. But the bigger question, as you're probably figuring out, is, okay, what's causing the pinch? Is it a weakness in a muscle? 
Is it overuse of a certain muscle? Is it a postural problem? Is it a neck issue that's causing decreased tone or decreased activation of a muscle or increased tone or guarding around a muscle? Is it something we call thoracic outlet where the, the bundle, the brachial plexus of the nerves that go to all these muscles is getting entrapped? What factor is causing the incoordination of that scapulohumeral rhythm uh, that's causing the pinch in that joint or causing the impingement? That's the hard part. Um, that's the challenge of figuring out how to fix a shoulder impingement, right? And so when we break that down, we have to have um, kind of a process to look at to figure out, okay, well, how do we chip away at this thing and figure out which one of those factors may be causing that impingement, right? So I know where the pain lives. What are all the reasons it can happen? Any of those um, factors that we've previously talked and the anatomical factors that we previously talked about could be potential of why we're getting that pain, um, that pain issue with, with arm elevation. So a lot of options here, a lot of choices here. Now, personally speaking, I always like to clear the spine first, and here's why. If your spine position is off, now your ribcage position is off, your scapular position is going to be off, it's going to affect the shoulder just positionally, right? Biomechanically, posturally, if the spine position is off, it's going to affect all those things downstream or, or, or towards the periphery. Like that's just part of the game, right? So clear the spine first. The other, I think, even more important piece of that is coming out of the spine at each segment are the power lines to the muscles and the sensory fibers of the shoulder, right? So if there's an irritation of the power line, well, what the heck else am I going to do, right? If, the, if somebody cuts the power line to my house, I can work on the electronics in my house all I want. But if I don't restore the power, you know, my electronics are never coming back to life. And so the same is true of the shoulder. If something's affecting the power supply to the muscle, to the joint receptors, to the sensory receptors around that shoulder, if something's affecting that power supply, well, I'm never going to win the game, right? I can do whatever I want at that shoulder, but if the power lines are messed up, I'm going to have a problem. So we can have different scenarios. We can have what we call a radiculopathy, where that nerve root or that power line coming out of the neck is so compressed that literally we're not getting power to the muscle. This is a bigger problem, right? This is something that if you're experiencing uh, you know, a significant weakness that kind of came on out of nowhere, um, you're noticing atrophy, you're noticing changes in your sensation or the feeling in your hand, you're starting to get a little numb, tingly, and that kind of stuff, Look, this, that just needs evaluated by a medical professional. You need to figure out what that is, why it's there, and get rid of it before it turns into a, to a bigger problem. So, you know, a radiculopathy or compression of the nerve root, a compression of that power line, big problem. Get that evaluated. Go see somebody. I would lump any kind of numbness tingling into that, that situation, right? If it's starting to go numb and tingle and your hand's falling asleep for no reason, um, just go. Get it checked, right? You also need to check your reflexes. That's hard to do on yourself. Uh, but reflexes being affected are another sign that we're actually getting true uh, compression of that nerve root as it exits the spine. When we're talking shoulder, we're talking mid-cervical. Um, so your neck, cervical spine, it, there's seven bones coming through there, uh, eight nerve roots, seven bones. Uh, that mid-chunk, the middle of the neck, kind of your mid, you know, not, not quite at the base of your head, not right at the base of your head, not kind of where it attaches to your, your mid-back, um, but you know, that middle piece is typically what's gonna be affected. So if you're getting neck pain that, go along, that goes along with your shoulder, certainly you need to get that assessed, right? Because now the neck might be driving some of that, 
power signal to the shoulder and that might be creating part of your problem. So that always needs cleared first. Now, you don't have to have just a ridic- like a radiculopathy of the, or a compression of that nerve root is not the only reason that the neck might affect the shoulder. You can get inflammation and irritation of those nerve roots as they, as they exit. It'll create pain and, and muscle tone and guarding around those segments that maybe the nerve signal's not working as well as it should or it's a little more in, inhibited or protective uh, than it normally would be. It's not a true nerve loss, right? We didn't cut the power cord. It's just inflamed. It's irritated. Um, a, a practitioner friend of mine, Chris, Chris Davis from New Orleans, or I should say Lafayette, not New Orleans, so yell at me. Uh, Chris Davis uh, from the Lafayette area, uh, Acadia, Acadia Pain Science, uh, pain clinics. Um, he's a physical therapist, brilliant guy, uh, super talented manual therapist. Uh, but he talks about a garden hose analogy where, okay, right, I didn't completely pinch the hose off, but I'm squeezing the hose. So now I'm getting a little less water. I'm getting a little less input maybe than I normally would. And, and I kind of like that. So if you think of a radiculopathy as I, I pinch the hose off completely and I'm getting no water, I'm getting no signal, big problem. Uh, versus just kind of a, a squeeze of the hose where, yeah, all right, I'm still getting some water. I'm still getting some signal to that area, but maybe it's affected to, to a degree. And, and I kind of like that analogy, right? It's simple. It's easy to understand. Um, so, so those are good things. Um, so in that scenario, I need to figure out, okay, well, if that nerve, if those nerves that go to the muscles, right, if those nerves are being affected, irritated, inflamed, compressed, I got to fix the power line, right? I got to be an electrician in that scenario and I got to figure out, okay, well, why is, where is this, where is the block in the power line, right? Where am I losing power? How do I get that off of there? There are certain areas that are commonly uh, irritated when we talk about nerve pathways. Like I talked about in the neck, C4, C5, C6 nerve roots, maybe even C7 nerve root, um, commonly cause shoulder issues. Uh, So those are the first places that I would look in the neck. The second place that I I would tend to look is something that we call thoracic outlet. So as those nerves come out of the neck, they run underneath that collarbone over top of the first rib as they go to feed the shoulder. If that first rib elevates or the muscles that kind of run through that space, your pec minor, your short head, your biceps, your coracobrachialis, if those muscles squeeze that area where that nerve bundle is running between the collarbone and the first rib, that's a potential entrapment point, okay? They can also catch in the scalenes a little higher in the neck, so it's certainly a place to check, but I tend to think the scalenes get tight more reactively than, than as the cause. Um, but anyway, so if that, if that um, thoracic outlet's getting compressed, that can cause an entrapment or an irritation as it goes to the shoulder. Uh, and then we could get nerve irritation or inflammation locally in and around the shoulder itself. Um, again, I tend not to think of that as commonly as frequently, but, but certainly a consideration when we're talking shoulder pain. Um, so again, we got to clear the power lines. We got to check spine first, follow that nerve pathway all the way to the muscle. And if there's anywhere where that nerve's getting affected, um, fix the power line first, right? That's got to be that's got to be contention number one when we're dealing with a when the, with a shoulder impingement kind of scenario. Okay, the next thing I look at is kind of gross positioning, uh, posture, if you will. So power lines are working. Now, what's the positioning or the posture doing? The reason I like to look at posture next is because there's um, a situation in the body that we call muscle length relationship um, or, or you know, muscle tension relationships. So we look at a muscle length relationship. If a muscle is in its middle length, 
the muscle has these cross bridges acting in, in myosin. They're like these little globular heads that kind of grab each other and they pull against each other to create a muscle contraction, almost like uh, rowers in a boat. So if you think of a, a oars hitting the water, the more oars you put in the water, the harder you can pull. Well, when a muscle's in its middle length, it's really strong because all of those little actin myosin uh, cross bridges are overlapping each other and they're able to grab each other and pull. I do have a YouTube video of this. It's really hard to explain on, on a podcast setting, but our YouTube page at fitfunction.com, there is a YouTube video if you want to watch me explain this uh, on a marker board, maybe a little bit easier to understand. Anyway, um, so middle length, best. If the muscle's in a shortened position, right, we've closed down the, the length of the muscle and we've shortened it, well, it's so overlapped that there's less overlap of those actin myosin cross bridges. It's like having less oars in the water. I'm not going to be as strong, right? If I'm in a completely lengthened position, again, there's less overlap of those actin myosin uh, cross bridges. Um, again, less oars in the water because of the opposite reason. They're just not able to reach each other. And now, again, I'm weak. We know this if you try to jump on a pull-up bar, right? You're hanging from the pull-up bar, chin-up bar, whatever. When you go to start the pull-up, it's really hard, right? That's why we never want to go to the bottom because at the bottom, when I'm completely at that dead hang, my muscles are as long as they're going to be, so there's less overlap. It's kind of hard. Once you get it started, you get to that midway point, you're, you're strong, right? You can pull through that. Nobody ever gets stuck in the middle of a pull-up. You start to get stuck again when you get close to the top because now you've shortened the muscles as short as they're going to be. Um, and now again, we got less of that, that overlap, less cross bridge action. So now the muscle is perceived as weaker in that shortened range of motion. So this is, this is the idea behind your, your, um, your uh, tension length relationships. So from a postural standpoint, if my, let's just use the shoulder blade as an example, if my shoulders rolled forward, well now all the muscles in the front are going to be in a shortened position. All the muscles in the back are going to be in a lengthened position. So I'm going to have positional weakness of those muscles when I go to do a motion, when I go to do an activity. Now my brain is in the business of doing things as efficiently and as easily as possible. So it's going to make the decision uh, based on ease. And so whichever muscle is in the right position and is able to generate the most force in that moment, that's the muscle that the brain, the nervous system is going to decide to use. So if I'm in a posture that puts certain muscles in a weak position, well, I'm not going to use those muscles because they're not strong here, right? They're just not able to generate force because of that length tension relationship. Um, so I'm going to use a different muscle that's in a better position to be able to fire. And so now we see different mus muscular activation patterns of the shoulder as a response of changing in those postural positions uh, and so forth. And so to me, kind of like what we talked about in the, the power line scenario, say I manually muscle test your, your, your shoulder, um, but I do it in, a, in a, you know, a midline position. All right, cool, you're strong or you're weak, but if I change the posture, if I change the length of that, that muscle, if the activation pattern changes, well, it doesn't matter how strong or weak that muscle is because I've changed the decision-making of how my brain wants to move that shoulder just based on my starting point. And so um, that's something that I think is fundamental to, to changing the way the shoulder moves is just changing the orientation of, of the positioning of it. 
and, and in part, I mean, I think there's multiple factors there, but I think in part is because of, of our, our length tension relationship. So, um, something to pay attention to. And I think if we can get to where that shoulder's starting more in the midpoint, it's going to normalize that activation pattern, hopefully keep the ball inside of the, the socket and kind of improve that congruency. Um, and then, you know, see what effect that has. So that's going to be my, my second check, only because I think it's going to change the patterning um, and the perceived strength of certain muscles, irrelevant of what their actual ability capabilities are. So we want to fix that first. Or, uh, well, after spine, that's the next thing that I want to look at as posture and positioning. The third thing that I then like to look at is local factors. Are there local things, because of maybe using a certain position for long enough, um, where we actually have tissue change or injury type scenarios that may be causing a change in that activation pattern that's causing the impingement. So let's say that I've frayed that supraspinatus tendon enough that I've actually created a little mini tear, or maybe I've inflamed or just kind of irritated enough that I've created a tear. Well, now that local problem, that irritation of that tendon is going to cause a protective response from the body where we tighten muscles around the shoulder to protect that injury or to protect that problem. If my brain's trying to protect something and it creates a splint to kind of guard around it, it's gonna lock everything up, it's gonna tighten everything up and you, you kind of felt that spasm feeling after an injury. Well, now we're bracing. Obviously, that's gonna change the activation pattern around the shoulder and it's gonna change the way that shoulder moves because I'm protecting something. So if that's the scenario, well, now I need to figure out whatever that local generator is that's causing the guarding pattern, that's causing that, that decision to change the movement patterns. Um, and, and I call those local irritations. So I inflame the biceps tendon. I inflame the supraspinatus tendon. Maybe it is a bursal irritation. Uh, maybe I landed on my shoulder funny. Whatever that case might be, if those local structures are inflamed, if that's causing either inhibition of the muscle where my brain doesn't want to use it because it's hurt, or guarding or splinting around that muscle where it's bracing and protecting, that's going to change my activation pattern. That's going to change the way my shoulder decides to move and, and might be a factor in my, in my impingement. Um, some people will also throw weaknesses into this equation here, right? So. Um, your posterior rotator cuff is weak and that's why you, your shoulder's not moving the correct way. I do think in long-term situations, if, if you've been dealing with something for a long time, that this can be a factor. Um, and, and certainly there's a place for local strengthening of the muscle, especially when we talk about long-term holding new positions, holding new postures to where those new postures become our, our resting baseline. That's where I think that stuff shines. Um, do I think that, uh, you know, in the short term, in that first couple of weeks of trying to get that pain out of there, that that's my first go-to is just, oh, let me strengthen the heck out of this thing and it'll be gone. It's not going to give you that short-term pain relief that a lot of times we're looking for. Um, long-term, it's a, it's a solution, right? Like, I, I always classify my problems as short, medium, long-term goals. You walk in with a shoulder impingement, pain in that subacromial space is the short-term goal because pain creates guarding. Guarding is going to change my activation pattern. So if I can't get the pain to go away, how am I ever going to normalize the movement pattern? This is just my theory. So I think pain is kind of our trump card. Um, I actually put on one of our vows, is there a pain trump card? Is pain trumping your movement pattern? 
if pain's trumping the movement pattern, if it's an acute newish onset pain, we need to figure that out first. So um, I'm going to look at those other factors preemptively to get the pain out of there before I start trying to strengthen certain muscles. Because what I, as a clinician, if I test somebody and I say they're weak, they might be weak, but it might just be inhibition, inhibition or, or the brain not activating that muscle because of the pain. So I need to get the pain out of there first. Once the pain's gone, now to keep it from coming back, right, to change that pattern that caused the pain to happen in the first place, now I need to go into my strengthening exercises, right, and, and figure out what's weak. So there, being strong fixes a lot of things, right? Let's not, let's not make, I'm not trying to say it's not important to get strong. Um, as far as preventative and, and positional things and keeping ourselves from getting hurt, I think strength exercises are probably one of the only things that work well. Um, but when we're trying to fix a, a painful pattern, it's not my first go-to, right? I think it, it serves a place, you know, in that medium to long-term goals of your, your fixing your shoulder impingement, your medium long-term solutions are going to be more of the find out what's, what's become weak due to changes in those activation patterns, um, changes in those postural things over the long-term, what's become weak. Now let's build some, some strength there so that you can hold these new patterns. Fantastic. Love it. Need to do it. Um, short-term pain resolution and maybe not so much, right? In, in my opinion. So we got to have both. Coincidentally, I think that's the problem with our, our cortisone injections and even some of the, uh, they'll do surgeries where they kind of clean out and create space in that impingement area. Um, I think the problem with those is they do provide that short-term pain relief. I think there's a million ways we can get short-term pain relief. I think dry needling is starting to show as good of improvements with, um, as a cortisone injection or PRP in, in certain situations. And, and as that becomes more prevalent, you know, fantastic, right? But short-term pain relief is awesome. But if you don't change the posture positioning, look at the neural pathways, um, figure out if there is a, a weakness or a flexibility thing that, that's kind of resulted from those things, if you don't fix that, then eventually you're going to go back into that same pattern, that same muscle activation pattern, and eventually the impingement's going to come back, right? So, you know, when you're looking at ways to fix a shoulder impingement, I think you need to, A, figure out what's causing it, address that to get the pain to go away, and then long-term build strength, build awareness of that positioning, uh, build the, the freedom of mobility in and around that shoulder so that it doesn't come back in the long-term, right? And I think that's the... Uh, that's the part that requires more work, right? So as a, as a client, as the, as the patient, um, you know, I can go get a cortisone injection. I can go get needled, cupped, scraped, whatever it is to get the pain to go away. But if you don't put in the work to build the strength and, and improve your positioning, yeah, that pain is going to come back, right? And, and so as long as you have the right plan in place to keep it away, uh, to build the strength so it doesn't come back, now I think you're going to be long-term successful in addition to your short-term pain relief. So we, we need both. We need short-term pain relief to, to be able to normalize that muscle activation pattern, and then we need to reinforce uh, the posture positioning, the, the neural freedom, the, the muscle tissue freedom, whatever it might be that we identified. We need to build strength and, and build um, normalcy in those patterns. Nah, normalcy is not the right word. Um, build... Um, the ability to, to kind of use those new patterns uh, in the long term. So th those are kind of the big things. So when I, when I think about fixing a shoulder in summary, figure out what's causing it, clear spine first, follow, look for any entrapments along the neural pathway, then look at local structures that might be pain generators. 
medium turn goal, start to create some freedom of motion to where your brain feels that that movement is now normal and pain-free and it releases some of that guarding, releasing some of that tension, uh, starts to normalize that pattern. A long-term goal, build strength uh, around the postural considerations, around the spine considerations, or around the local tissue considerations that allow you to, to maintain that, that normal range of motion so it doesn't come back as you get back into your activities. That's the quick summary. Uh, if you made it this long to hear the quick summary, thank you. Um, when you're looking, when you're looking for somebody to help you, um, fix your shoulder impingement, in my opinion, you need to have somebody that's able, willing, and capable has the knowledge base in the, the clinical ability, the freedom in their, their clinical setup to help you with all of those layers. You need to be able to get out of short-term pain, right? We get a lot of exercise specialists that can help you with the strengthening piece but they don't know how to help you get out of the pain part in the front end. You gotta be able to get rid of the pain part in the front end. On the flip side, we get a lot of times we spend so much time trying to get rid of the pain that we don't build the strength and the movement freedom to keep it away. So we need to have uh, the ability to clear the pain on the front end and then build that uh, program and that, that repositioning of the, the, the um, uh, re-engagement of some of those shoulder muscles, thoracic uh, freedom, first ribs, skin, leans, right? We gotta be able to hit all those regional factors that might be causing uh, the impingement in the first place and build those back as well. Um, so if you can find somebody that can do all of those things for you, fantastic. Um, and if not, just find a team, right? So find a team, somebody that's really good, a really good manual therapist that's able to do dry needling, cupping, tissue work, joint manipulation, mobilization, whatever it is to kind of get the pain to go away. Um, but then also have an exercise specialist that can help you build a, an appropriate um, rehab plan that not only focuses on strengthening your shoulder, right? Like we can all do TheraBand exercises that we find on YouTube, but can build you a rehab program that addresses those spine components, those postural positioning components, uh, the rib cage position, and maybe some breathing things because your diaphragm can affect the rib cage position, right? Can look at all those external factors as well. Um, to build a complete plan that, that helps you keep that shoulder impingement out of there. So um, thank you for listening. I know this is another episode from In the Car, uh, hopefully with the rain and the traffic and the uh, just vehicle noise, the, the audio came out okay. Uh, appreciate you guys joining me on my car ride to the office this morning. Uh, hope that helped explain a few things around some shoulder impingement. Uh, for some exercises, some, some postural and, and different types of exercises, we do have some on our YouTube channel uh, at Fit for Function, P-H-Y-T, Fit for Function. Uh, we also offer, if you, you know, if you have a specific shoulder problem and you're looking for a health professional, um, we do do free phone consults. We'd be happy to chat with you about your shoulder, and if it's a situation and a scenario where we think we can help, uh, we would love to do that. You can book a free phone consult at fitforfunction.com. Uh, with either the contact form or, or you'll see a button for a, for a free phone consult. And uh, we would love to help you out. If you're looking for a really good manual therapist, uh, one of our neuro release treatment ther trained therapists um, are gonna have all the skills to be able to look at that neural distribution, look at regional components, look at lo local tissue structures um, to kind of help you get out of pain quickly uh, using either cupping, percussion, massage, uh, like your hypervolts and your um, scraping, your instrument-assisted soft tissue massage. Uh, they will have the ability to do all of those things. And our integrative dry needling trained therapist can add dry needling to that equation uh, if that's appropriate for you. So a lot of people uh, in our system trained to be able to look at that 
neural, uh, segmental as we call it, and, and local uh, components of, of pain um, at integrativedryneedling.com. So all those links we'll put in the show notes. Uh, we hope this helped. Help you kind of wrap your head around what a what shoulder impingement really is, kind of the factors around why that pinch is happening, uh, and ultimately, you know, help keep you moving, keep you active, keep using that shoulder so you can do all the activities you love doing. Uh, and that's what this is all about, getting fit for function. So, all right, guys, we'll see you on the next one. I appreciate it. Thank you for enjoying the Fit for Tomorrow podcast. I hope you're able to pick up a few things to help you live and move better. We'd really appreciate a like, share, review, or follow in order to help us continue to grow this podcast and help more people like you looking to feel and move better as active adults. Thanks again. We'll see you on the next episode.